got friends only wanna talk business. I got expensive, cause when it's expensive. I got expensive, cause when it's expensive. I've been out of work. And welcome to Put That Coffee Down, the Freight Sell Show for Closers. My name is Kevin Hill. I'm your host today, along here with Richie Daigle. Yeah, good to see you, Kevin. It's good to see you, too. We have an exciting show. We're going to talk about, what is it, Richie, Newtonian physics today? I don't know if we'll get there, but I... We I, might. I, we I, might we throw might. that in there. I got, you know, my, my son, who's almost 16 months, he has Newtonian physics for babies. So we're... We're, there you we're go. trying to get them started off on the right uh, track. On the right track, yeah. Do you have alchemy, too? Uh, we, we do have general relativity. A general and, relativity. And a, a few other things, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, we're going to be talking about pricing strategies, which might get into Newtonian physics, because uh, the freight market is a very complicated jumble of different markets. This is what we'll talk with Omar Singh, uh, founder and president of Surge Transportation. You have the shipper carrier market. You have the the bro or I'm sorry shipper yeah shipper to carrier market the shipper to broker market but you also have uh, another market out there which is the the freight broker to carrier market on the contract side and we're not even talking about spot markets yet so a lot of variables out there and uh, it should be an interesting exciting uh, discussion definitely looking yeah. forward to it so um, and speaking of surge transportation it's the fastest growing 3PL in the logistics space today. Based in Chicago and Jacksonville, they offer unrestricted access to almost all accounts, limitless territory, and a chance to be a key player in a growing company. To find out more, email jobs at surgetransportation.com. Once again, that's jobs at surgetransportation.com. But let's uh, jump right now into our first segment here, and that is a new one, buyer object, right? So... We'll throw out two or three different concepts, and either you are buying, you are going to sign on the line that is dotted, or you have an objection. I tend to have objections. You and, do. And I tend you to have do. a lot of questions, and so yeah. sometimes uh, questions. Objection is emotion is, it is what? Oh, right. Like an object is emotion? Something, I don't, Something I, like that. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. I, yeah, you're going someplace, and I'm going to trust you that you're, it's going to be good. <laughs> so, so here's our, you know, they can be sales strategies, sales concepts. Uh, you know, everyone has their, their own opinion. Yep. That's the reason why there's a, a thousand sales uh, shows out there, sales training programs, all <laughs> yeah. of that. It is just all over the place. Uh, so the first concept is uh, actually Anthony Smith's girlfriend. Uh, was was uh, I saw her outside yesterday um, okay. picking up Anthony and and it was her first day at a new freight brokerage and it was uh, we, we started talking and trial by fire came up trial by fire so a training program not saying that she's going through trial trial by fire but uh, you know certain organizations like trial by fire so here's my thought and I'm going to say that I object. But I, I'm also going to say that I don't have enough information from only hearing trial by fire to know if I really object. Because if that is the crux and the core of your training is like, hey, just go figure it out, then you're just being lazy with training. <laughs> like, like, that's, not a, that's not an effective way. How, how much is that costing you? Have you run an analysis on, on how expensive all those mistakes were? Uh, so I think that trial by fire, when you've equipped the person with a fire extinguisher and a fire suit and some tools that they can use to say, here's what you can use to go figure things out. Here's some basic training, if you will. Now we're going to put you out there on the floor. 
that makes a little more sense. But if it's just like, hey, you're here, day one, go get them. <laughs> and that, that's, yeah, I, I got problems there. Yeah, there's, there's an extreme, right? You, you walk in, it's like, here's a phone, here's some leads. Here's a calls. book on freight, maybe, or, or maybe not. Just just listen <laughs> to people around you and just just pick it up. I mean, that's that's a little li- little insane, but I, you know you can go through a lot of training, but you don't really you don't really learn it until you apply it, until you get oh. out there. So I, I think every situation is a trial by fire. At some point, you can have a little bit. You can have enough preparation to, to go out there. I, I think a lot of freight brokers just don't have that, which is what you're talking about. And there is a drawback of over-preparing, too, or over-training. Because then, as you apply that, that's a lot of information to yep. start applying. You get confused. You get in, in your own head. And so that can be uh, a sticky situation as well. I think the question is, what tools do you have and what kind of fire are you fighting, right? Are, are you throwing me in to trial by campfire? Or are you throwing me into trial by one of these fires that's burning out in California right now that's taking up yeah. several thousand acres, right? Like, what what are you throwing me into? What's the situation? Is this a, like a scenario like, huh, never going to get out of that, but he's going to learn a lot, you know? Or is it something where it's achievable? You know, that that makes a big difference. Well, as someone who learned to swim by being thrown into the, the lake and having to, to swim to, to get back to the boat, I, I'm kind of used to it. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That sounds dramatic. Okay. Uh, it, 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 it wasn't that bad. So number two, the, the, the second one, are you buying or objecting Rishi Daigle, is the double call. Let me ask you. Where, where, where you can't get the prospect on the phone, and you call back immediately. Quick question. Is this double call the same number, or are you double calling cell phone then office? Same number. Same number. Same number. Separate same? numbers, I don't, think is, I don't think anyone would object to that. Got it. Okay. Just just wanting to clarify. God God and the devil are in the details. It is, yeah. So I would say object to a double call. If they didn't answer the first time, you know, what are you looking what are you going to get if they answer the second time? And is that really the person you want to speak to? Uh, be patient. Be patient. Mm -hmm. I I I I agree with that. I no double calls and triple, quadruple calls. No, no, no. Please don't. Um have a little patience. Give it 15 minutes. Give it 20 minutes. Give it, you know, give it some time, you know. And, and also kind of, kind of smacks of you're trying to get a sell. You're trying to get a sell. And you, you flip the leverage over to the other person. And how are you utilizing your time? Do you not have your day structured to where you feel like do you have the time to where like you just need to be calling this person over and over and over and over? What about everything else that you have going? What's the better? Where are your odds? What is the way that you can use your time in the way that's going to be the best odds for success? And is calling this number again really doing that? Is it achieving that for you? And that salesperson uh, probably is not doing enough prospecting. That's one of the key red flags. You're not doing enough prospecting if you have to have this deal right now. You should have like 10 people on your line that you can just call anytime that, that you need some you know, some some money, especially in freight brokerage, right? Transactions. You need to, to move some loads. You should have, you know, 10 or 15 uh, people on your speed dial that, that you can call and and see what's happening, see what's available, and generate that income. And you should have momentum, right? And if, if momentum in that relationship is lacking, then that's a problem, right? Mm-hmm. And if you have that momentum and you have trust, then both parties should understand that, okay, this person's not available, 
I'm going to, I'm going to, I trust that we're still in a good spot. We still have this momentum building. I'm just going to reach back out. Now I might make a note, Hey, they didn't answer this time. And if they don't answer 12 times over like what, you know, at some point I say something got off the rails. I need to send an email, try a different method of communication and get in touch with them. And if I still can't make something happen, you reach a point where it's time to cut and move on and, yeah. and you utilize your time in a more effective way. So number three, the, the, the final one, are you buying or objecting to this, Richie? Script-based selling. I'm objecting again. I, I, I'm You're just, just full of, full of you objections. You should be a lawyer. <laughs> you should be a lawyer. <laughs> You're just objecting to everything. Yeah, um, yeah I'm against it again. I, again, I think that it's, uh, it's, it's a lazy shortcut in the training cycle. Uh, I would think yeah. that if you build more time training and you really get people to know what they're selling, they can infuse their personality into, in their words, and make the messaging and that, that value proposition their language and their story. And it's going to be, come across as much more genuine and authentic. I think script-based selling is a way to get people in front of clients quicker uh, and keep them on, on track. But... <laughs> I would say if you are going to use it, don't be hard on it. Like let people use their own words and language. I am a fan of script-based selling. Oh man, I, we're I, disagreeing. I Especially when you're new to a job, you need a script. You have to make it your own. It reminds me of Reservoir Dogs. Have you ever seen Reservoir Dogs? It's been a long time. So, so there's a scene, I, I forget who else is in it, but Tim Roth, he's an undercover cop. And he's given a, a script of a story to, you know, a colorful story that needs to be told to, to gain credibility as he goes in undercover. And he's just monotone reading it to begin with. And then and you show, see this evolution where he's just making it his, his own story. And he's embellishing here and there. He's, he's changing the, the dialogue a little bit to where it's really comfortable and he pulls it off. At the end, the, the, the story that gets credibility, that gets him in, uh, to the criminal organization, and it's 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 fascinating. But every script should be that, you know. If you know the reason why scripts work, I think is because if you find something that 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 does work, that that generates income, generates sales, why try to do something else? Just perfect that script. And if you have a general script for um, for new entrants into a job, um, then they can make it their own over time. But you have to start with the script and. You know, the script is always subject to change if, it, if it's not working, right? But you find out what's work, you keep with that, and then you have the script. I can get on board with the script if, if I said, you know, let's pretend that I'm in a management position. I say, go read this script, learn it, but don't use it. Rewrite it. Rewrite it with your words, and then you have your script. Let me, let's, let's talk about it, and let's build something that's yours. Um, I think that people need to be authentic. I don't know that I would be you know, wanting a whole sales team to be masterminds at being double-faced and actors and hiding their true identity. And, you know, I, well, I, don't I know. mean, that's, it's, that's a version of a script. <laughs> but that is, it's not the rule. I, I, another, another group um, uh, of sales, not really people, but more marketers, online marketing uh, you know, pros use scripts. I mean, that's a written word. They, they use that written word to, to mass market products. And mm -hmm. that they, they use a standard script, which is their reading material, their, their marketing material. And uh, the, there's conversion rates, all judged on conversion rates. You change the script, you change that message 
until you get a conversion that that is acceptable that, that you really want, and then you try to improve it after that, of course. Um, but but that's that's a script as well. It works really great for um, kind of the, the, those faceless or um, salesless transactions, so credit card transactions, maybe fifty dollars a month, uh, re, you know, of, of membership fees. And you don't want a salesperson to, to sell each and every one of them. You use a script or a, ver- or a series of scripts to lead someone down that sales funnel. Yeah, and you make a good point there. And maybe it does in those transactional uh, instances, it might make more sense. You know, when you go to some of these fast food restaurants, you, you know, I can memorize some of them just based off of what they're going to say to me off of the, the script <laughs> as soon as I walk in well, the yeah, door. Well, yeah, exactly. You know, um, consistency. Yeah, and, and so like there is some branding and some marketing potential there, but I, I think that for high touch, you know, B two B sales or enterprise or consultative sales, those types of things, um, authenticity is is huge in kind of building that that yeah. foundation of trust. I mean, what, what you don't want to do is have a binder and have to to flip through the objections <laughs> yeah. every time you, you hear one and flip back through it again, right? You don't want to do that. But having a script to, to be a basis off, something that, that, that works time in, time out, which mm. is a good product, a good company, has that. You know, I mean, this is, the, the, they have a very defined uh, key target audience. They have a very defined strategy for that. And here's the, at least the, the, the beginnings of the, the, the script. Right. That, that you should go pursue because this is what works. It's what's worked historically. Now, if something else works for you and you want to change the script up a little bit, if it works, I mean, who cares? At the end of the day, if you are generating uh, revenue and sustainable revenue, no one's going to, to, to really get in your way. Good point. So point. let's talk about the market. Let's talk about the market. Let's, yeah. let's talk about different, different markets and, and pricing and kind of an entry into that before we bring Omar on here in a few minutes is with your sonar chart of the week, Richie. Yeah, so this is this is going to be a bit different than previous sonar uh, charts because this isn't really a chart. This is just an example of an application that we have called Lane Scorecard, where you can load up to 250 lanes at once, uh, and we can look at you know an analysis at a one-month interval, three months, six months, nine months, or 12 months. And what we're getting these are just two random lanes, but what's really important here is seeing where the spot market is headed. And this is at a one month uh, time interval. So we see historically, you know, where the, the spot market, you know, the, the change in the spot market conditions on this lane over the past month, and then forecasted where are things going next month. That's really powerful to understand directionally, do we see spot going up or down on this specific lane? But what's even more powerful is understanding how volatile is the spot market going to be on each lane over the next month. And we have this volatility score from you know, 1 to 100, with 1 being boring and 100 being buckle your seatbelt. Uh, is that on the, the, the far right? Yeah, it's going to be, you know, there's one that's a 44 and one's an 88. So okay. it's just to the right of where you see Van. Um, and that's your know, one's 68. I'm sorry, 44 and 68. But, you know, if you can identify those lanes that have high spot market volatility, that is really important to know because now you're basically seeing how many waves are coming at me and how big are these waves in the ocean. Uh, And then we also, you know, determine, uh, you know, how attractive are these lanes to a carrier from a reload potential, Mm -hmm. from a reload standpoint. 
again, you know, these are market conditions that we're giving you visibility to with this tool. And like we're going to talk about, what is a good rate? Like what goes into a rate? And I like to think about, I think I might have said this once before, rates are a lot like surfboards. You know, there's spot market surfboards, there's contract surfboards, there's carrier to, uh, to, to you know, shipper surfboards, there's broker to carrier surfboards, um, all different types of, of surfboards. And some are fat and long and wide. And, mm-hmm. But it's the ocean underneath the surfboards that's making them all move. And I like to think that this is what we're providing visibility to is regardless of your surfboard or your rate, these market conditions are going to have implications into uh, what that rate is, your compliance and so forth. It, it will. And these two lanes that you have picked out here, uh, I, and, and I'm not an expert on the dry van side of this. And it's been a while since I, I was a freight broker as well. Uh, but I know on the flatbed side, if I look at these two lanes, these are, are two highly volatile lanes. Uh, because they're probably not the most popular with with carriers, and there are hard back hauls to get out of. It's it's it, it can be a mess, and if you're trying to do a same day load, next day load, especially uh, with, with flatbeds on this, it, you're you're gonna beat your head against the wall a little bit, and that's the importance of, of developing carrier relationships, mm-hmm. uh, developing especially if you're a three PL, developing especially for for lanes like this to go out and get consistent carriers to haul this if this is or if these are consistent lanes right if it's a one-off lane it, it means that mark it up a little bit because it's going to be harder than you think or if you're going in a contract scenario mm-hmm. and you're going to be awarding a carrier a, a bunch of lanes you know then i want to make sure that okay what is that risk what are those volatility scores mm-hmm. like across that whole award what are those lane scores like across the whole award? Am I mitigating risk by blending unattractive lanes with very, very healthy and attractive lanes to that carrier to try to de-risk my, my, my whole network? So, And that's where it gets really complicated because that's like portfolio theory. Yeah. If you look at you know, a basket of equities that you own, uh, it just you, you have your sharp ratio. I think it's been a long time, long time since I had a finance class too. So your sharp ratios, and you're just trying to figure out your risk and trying to blend that in for a predictable margin at the other end. So you're going to be pricing, you're going to have a pricing strategy that that blends maybe ten or twelve different lanes into something that generates X. And however it gets to X, doesn't really matter as long as it gets to X and that's an acceptable uh, gross margin percentage or, or dollar to you. And you, and you bring up a good point about like building trust, right? And this is getting to the heart of transportation not having to be a zero-sum game between two parties that are just at each other's throat. Mm-hmm. You know, you can build an agreement here where it's mutually beneficial for everybody. You know? And it that's, is. that's what's pretty cool about these tools and what they It, it is. And you, we, we talk about portfolio theory. We're also talking about bundling. Mm-hmm. Where yep. We're bundling different lanes together exactly. uh, for, for everyone to, to have... Uh, you know, to, to add value to the each a win-win situation, I guess. Yep. Even though that's a little bit overused, still a win-win <laughs> win-win situation. Uh, something that you can negotiate and that makes sense, right? Instead of this this one-off lane uh, type of type of negotiations and and trying to close, where it it, it is somewhat of a zero-sum game at that point. Yeah. If, yeah. If you're just going transactional one lane at a time. It's uh, yeah, 
it's risky. <laughs> it, it is very risky. It definitely is. And these two lanes, again, you know, if you're bidding on these, if these are contract lanes, then then you definitely want to be building that carrier relationship into those back halls, uh, getting that squared away, getting your pricing from actual carriers who are running those lanes, as opposed to um, buying it thinking that you're going to buy it on the spot all the time because you will get burnt on that. We're talking about mm-hmm. you know, how your book of business can get burned very easily as a freight broker, and that is extending long-term contracts to, to, to shippers and always using uh, the, the same day, whether it's load boards or, or whatever in the spot market. You're buying on the spot uh, and, and, and guaranteeing rates out 6, 12 months. Uh, you, you have external shots, shocks to the world, right? I think COVID is one of those. Yep. And, you know, if you'd, if you'd uh, you know, maybe 12 months ago now, you'd be in a pretty good seat. But 12, the 12 months previous. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I so mean, the world is you much can, different. You can only plan uh, <clears throat> as well as you can today with the visibility mm-hmm. that's available today. There's no way to look into the future and see what other crazy events headed our way. But yeah. So you want to lock in both sides of the transaction. Yeah. Yep. Is, is what we're saying. I think this is what uh, Omar is saying, too. Uh, we'll welcome Omar to the, the, the show right now. And uh, Omar Singh, the, the, the president and founder of Surge Transportation. How are you doing today, uh, Omar? Doing great. Doing great. Thank you for having me again. Oh, you bet. You bet. This is a, a very interesting topic. We, we've been talking about it here for, for the last few minutes uh, with our sonar charts. And really going through, you have the shipper-to-carrier market, you have the shipper-to-broker market, which is, as you pointed out in your article, everyone talks about. But there's another market that we hardly ever pay attention to, and that's the broker-to-the-carrier market. Uh, Can you dive a little bit deeper into that? Yeah. You know, I just, I want to call it out by name, the broker-to-carrier rate, because really what most of the benchmarking tools do is they divide rates into either shipper-to-carrier contract or broker-to-carrier spot. And I just think that broker-to-carrier contract deserves it deserves a name to be called out because, you know, it exists. All of the really large brokerages kind of encourage and expect their, their agents or their brokers, their carrier sales team, to develop repeat relationships with carriers. And then what we do is we export our, our, our rates to their benchmarking tool. And they take those and because we're brokers, consider them to be spot rates, but really they're broker to carrier contract when we have that relationship in place. Uh, and sometimes we have to move you know, the loads in spot. And a lot of times those get considered to be outliers when, when it's the true spot rate. So I think the distinction really kind of needs to be a little bit more present in the industry. and. Um, and yeah, I just want to call it out by name because because it exists and those repeat relationships are there. Like you guys were saying, win-win. Uh, hopefully, we can use just a few carriers on whatever lanes we're awarded and we negotiate a rate ahead of time with them, just like shippers and carriers do. Uh, and these are just smaller carriers, but the relationship aspect is the same. The negotiated rate is the same. So the outliers that are people think are outliers are what I would say the true spot rate. So. Just want to talk about that a little bit. So, yeah. yeah so, well, real quick, uh, you, you know, if you ask a uh, hundred freight brokers, I think I've done surveys on this too. Uh, you know, how many you, you, you hear 
and I, I used to use this pitch too. So, but but we all do it. You know, we have relationships with twenty five thousand carriers or fifty thousand or a hundred thousand, whatever you make what whatever number, and, and consistently is like ninety percent of those are one and done. You're only really using on a regular basis about ten percent of whatever number is in your TMS. Yeah, and that's I think that's the objective that the industry has, right? Is is establishing those repeat relationships that that operate as a contract rather than just yeah you can't do everything as a one and done every time i mean we do it we we post loads and of course we cover them that way but you know even even if it's not the same lane kind of all of us have customers that have the origin domicile in the same location so so we can reach out to carriers within a radius of a domicile where we can say I can predict with reasonable certainty I'm going to have this many loads out of this city on this week. I might not know exactly where they're going to go, but this is where our freight comes out of. And we want relationships with people at negotiated rates that are they're reasonable for everybody and, you know, develop that repeat business. So it's what all of us do. And it's it's not really reflected in the way the rate engines talk about rates, I, I think, in terms of assuming it's just spot. So I, I love this conversation because, you know, we, we hear all the time, like we want to figure out what's going on with rates. We're trying to find out the one rate to rule them all on every lane. Um, so, and, and I know that rates are different. There's so many things that go into rates and I can think of several things off the top of my head, like relationships and history and so forth. But I would, I'd like to hear from you. What else goes into rates, whether they're shipper to carrier, shipper to broker, broker to carrier? What are the other factors that are determining rates? And the second question, what makes a rate accurate? or What makes a rate reasonable? Well, I mean, that's kind of like the most important part of this job of being a broker is being able to understand those rates. And then I think also, you know, understand where you are from a lead time standpoint, because lead time matters so much. and at least in our business model and Surge's business model, usually we get either givebacks or short lead time that primaries can't cover because they don't just have enough notice. And and those short lead time spot rates are going to be really different. So we have to we have to account for that in in whatever we're quoting and whatever we're offering carriers or trying to you know, make it attractive enough to them. Um, but in our tool, we do everything from you know, weekends, of course, hazmat expedited, you know, we'll consider holidays, the leading up to the holiday and then the, you know, the, the burn off after the holiday of, of all the carryovers, um, inbound and outbound states, depending on seasonality, you know, produce now West coast imports. Um, just so there's a lot of logic that's built into at least our tool. We used to do it manually. Now a lot of it's automated, but, um, so I think all of it matters. And of course, the historical information is relevant. But like you guys just said a few minutes ago, when when things happen, when import volumes are up or when COVID hits, you know, kind of that history matters, but it doesn't necessarily tell me what's going to happen tomorrow. It just tells me what happened yesterday. So I, I really do think these are, are awesome discussions just because to, to be a good freight broker, you really have to, have to think about rates. And, and you, Omar, you laid out a bunch of variables that are very important. You know, what is the market rate? 
I know for very liquid lanes or very high volume lanes, it's, it's pretty easy to determine, right? For the illiquid or the less volume lanes, kind of like the, the lanes that we had up here, you know, Chattanooga to, uh, to uh, I forget where at Louisiana, um, but, but some of those are, are you know, just unimaginable to cover because there's just not really any consistency. Don't really know what the rate is day to day because it's going to spike depending on who's in the area and you know where they need to get back to, uh, especially if you're doing seven-day loads. So you need to develop those carrier relationships, get that, that benchmark pricing uh, or get that contract pricing in uh, on yourself. But I, you really you have to, to go through all these variables in your head if you're in the seat as a freight broker because pricing matters quite a bit and being good at pricing the market, we can talk about high pricing, low pricing, whatever. Being able to, 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 to price them, the market accurately is one of the, the big indicators of your success in this profession, right? Yeah, I think if, you know, obviously if we're not going to be good at doing that, then we're not going to be successful. So we have to at least, you know, historically our cost to serve was, you know, seven or 8%. Now that rates are going so high, it's a little bit lower than that. But um yeah, I mean, if you if you can't make the margins and make it attractive enough for carriers to want to work with you and have your customers understand why the rates are what they are, I mean, that's what we do for a living as middle people. We have to make it a reasonable relationship for the customers and we have to make it a reasonably attractive relationship for the motor carriers. And yeah, all of that comes down to the rates. I mean, one thing that came to mind when you were mentioning them is um, I think local carriers and regional carriers versus over the road carriers. And a lot of times, you know, tools will tell us that a lane goes a hundred miles. It should be say 600 or $700. Well, we, we can't buy it like that when we post loads because we're posting to really over the road carriers. Right. And so they have, they have a different cost structure. Uh, and that $600 doesn't usually cover their cost structure. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's another one I think that's worth pointing out. So that is well worth pointing out because that is uh, different economics in, in regional carriers or over the road. And over the road, carriers for 100 miles, they're not interested in it. And if, if you even get a price out of them, it's going to be astronomical. Uh, but go ahead, Rashid. Sorry. Yeah, they'll be pricing them. The, sometimes they'll the price themselves the, out of yeah. the market for the, a reason. Yeah. The, the price is their answer. Yeah, it is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Five grand, you know. Uh, you <laughs> yeah. don't really want to do it then, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, and then customers have to understand that, right? Because yeah. like our customers that work with large motor carriers who have a price structure in place for a 100-mile run, you know, if we give them the quote, yeah, they go, what are you talking about? And uh, just, that's what carriers are charging. And, and there's a, another great example, which was always a, the horrible thing, is, is getting a shipper to, to give you a load at Friday afternoon, uh, delivers Monday 250 miles, right? Right. And they expect to, to pay... Uh, whatever, $2 a mile, $3 a mile for it. And it's like, no, nah, you, you're paying like a day rate or two right. for that truck to sit because it's not earning money over the weekend, which is like the premium time for, for, for truckers to, to, especially over the road truckers, to, to, to really uh, make their money. Yeah, to get that revenue. Yeah. So, yeah, Omar, they're not unloading, reloading. Go ahead, sorry. Uh, <laughs> apologies there. I was, I was just going to say that Kevin and I, before the, the this show started, we were discussing how there's these terms in the industry that can carry uh, different definitions or, or maybe loaded terms. And market can be one of those 
one of those terms. And when we think about pricing to the market, my mind thinks, well, in one way, you're pricing to what everybody else is doing and what how everybody else is pricing, right? Here's here's what's going on with the, the consensus of other people and their feelings and emotions. Uh, another way to think about market is actual capacity. And the two don't always match up, right? We do get those GameStop scenarios where, you know, the, the feeling and the emotion about, you know, what people are saying something is worth or where capacity is at may be very different than what capacity is actual, actually available. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on, on that topic and how that impacts, especially this uh, broker-to-carrier contract pricing uh, that you brought up. Well, I think, you know, one of the examples, I mean, we're all talking about how much COVID has changed the market, you know, so quickly. But one of the interesting parts of it, just like you're saying, there's, there's the physical capacity, the actual number of trucks, number of loads. And then there's like the desires, right? One of the things that we experienced is that the states that are the biggest COVID hotspots, which are starting to happen again, there was actual truck capacity to go, but nobody wanted to because they're obviously afraid of, you know, catching COVID and being far from home. Um, so there's that desire. And then I think there's also like restrictions, right? Which states are putting on the highest restrictions and to be in public places. And so is it easier or harder for those drivers to get in and out and navigate those, those locations? And I think that contracted rates certainly are a part of our industry that broker to carrier contract deserves it deserves mention because those repeat relationships i think historically have been so important but now in the past year and a half i think we're starting to see those move to like kind of 90-day agreements right Mm -hmm. rather than 365-day agreements because nobody's 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 really i think trying to predict 12 months out right now there's kind of 60, 90 days, I think this is where it's going to be. Uh, and then, you know, kind of wait and see. And like Delta variant, we all thought people are getting vaccinated, things are opening up. Now, it kind of the opposite happened. Yeah, so. it's, a, it's a risky, it's a dangerous position to, to start trying to predict six, 12 months out right now, especially, you know, putting your dollars to it uh, in, in contracts. I don't think, I, yeah, I don't think any party, you know, whether you're a 3PL, a carrier or a shipper, is confident trying to forecast that out whatsoever. You mentioned cost of serve, Lego Omar, and I was wondering if you could dig down into that a little bit more because it's a very interesting uh, a concept in, in cost of serve and and how building those carrier relationships, having those broker to carrier contracts in place for consistent, you know, repeat carrier business uh, coming back to you, serving your contracts, how that that drives the cost of serve down. Well, yeah, if you're not, I mean, in so many ways, one, you're not just negotiating, renegotiating every day at the whim of, you know, whatever happens and however much lead time you have. But if we can get those repeat relationships and agreements in place and then staff our organizations, you know, to where it's less work to be able to move more loads on fewer carriers, it's Almost, uh, I mean, I would at least say it's akin to what motor carriers have, which motor carriers have fixed costs, they're variable costs, but they generally know their operating costs uh, and can then quote business for the long term that way. And we kind of need to know the same thing from from our own staffing, from our own margins, from the cost of holding you know money because some shippers pay in 60, 90, 
we have some 120 days, um, that costs a few percent. So you kind of have to consider that when quoting that customer that, you know, they have a different cost structure than maybe somebody who's paying in 30 days. So if you're operating on narrow margins that are down to, you know, just a few points and they add a few points of expense, then you just have to really have your finger on that, you know, so. Oh, that's, that's great. Um, are there, are there any brokers or you, I would think that, that not, but do you know of any scenarios where there's people who are, you know, they have contracts between the broker and the shipper, and then they're trying to cover in this spot? Is that advisable? Is it, are there any circumstances where that w- is a useful strategy? It happens all the time. Is it useful or not? Is that, <laughs> I'll let Omar talk about that. Yeah, well, I, I'll tell you, our business model, and I really think that brokers should cover the loads that primaries can't cover, right? And so... Our business model, Surge's business model, is not to really compete against primaries and go in after, you know, a very large primary awards. It's more of a, a backup strategy to kind of be there to help our customers when their supply chain is just experiencing not enough capacity. Um, so either those rates might be a little bit higher than normal with the you know expectation that there's going to be some short lead time or there's some reason that somebody is not able to cover the load, whether it's wildfires or COVID hotspots or something to that effect. So that's kind of worked out for us. But yeah, I stay away from that long-term contract, most competitive rate possible, cheapest out of 450 people participating in an RFP. And they'll go try to find somebody who's going to allow you to move that out of margin. We haven't been successful with that. So our strategic sort of position with customers is to cover stuff that primaries can't and play in like the 10 to 20% of their volume rather than in the hundred percent space and, and try to get everything because it just, it doesn't work for us. So yeah. I mean, do, do you think it works for anybody? I mean, it, it seems like a lot of freight brokers just, they, they try to compete against those primaries, right? But you have to, to, you have to pay the truck about the same price. You have to, to do your markup. And oftentimes, once you do that, you're going to lose the bid. You're going to lose the bid. You're going to lose the business. If you do gain the business, it's going to be pretty short term. Um, but you see a, a lot of freight brokers, I also say freight brokerages and brokers independently, trying to, you know, always trying to compete against those primaries. And the, the, the win rates and the cost of serve kind of, kind of spikes. Yeah, it's, it's hard. I mean... It's kind of, it is the topic of the article that, I mean, I, I, I do want to call it out because there are brokerages that are really good at it, right? I mean, they have those contracted rates in place. They have the repeat relationships. There are a lot of new tools in the marketplace also that integrate with TMSs to try to help help us foster those repeat relationships and identify things that we might not have identified on our own. And so those rates are part of what makes up the spot. And I, I do believe they need to be called out by name, but it's it's difficult. It's a it's a difficult balancing act, and I think that a lot of really established relationships are required to make it work, both on the shipper side and the carrier side. Um, and I think it's just a matter of that maybe motor carrier can give capacity to the shipper that shipper wouldn't just the carriers don't have the bandwidth to handle the volume on their own. So the broker needs to give multiple carriers, you know, to that shipper so that it, it makes sense. But yeah, it has to work on on all sides. Very established relationships. 
you know, the, these conversations that we have with you, Omar, they're always amazing to me because they bring to light specific niches in the marketplace that matter and are meaningful and have ramifications into how the industry is operating. And it's such a decentralized industry where, uh, you know, every, there's, yeah, there's how many carriers and brokers all, all across the country. I mean, there's, it, it's amazing. Um, so I'm just curious, you know, like you've, you've identified the one niche of, uh, you know, your, where surge comes into play and, and how you're going after those, uh, you know, what's falling through from the primaries. And you've identified this other niche that I don't even know if it's really a niche. It's more of like just something that needs to be called out the broker carrier, uh, contract market. But what, what niche are you going to bring to the surface next? Like what, what else do we need to know about that is, uh, important in the industry today? I think the probably the hot topic item, right, is real time pricing, APIs, TMS integrations, uh, you know, Uber Convoy. I think they're the first ones to kind of help the industry see that it's possible. But, you know, brokerages are growing and they're developing the capabilities of doing the same things. I mean, growing in number. Um, I think in the, one of the most recent articles, I said there were uh, 16,000 brokerages, 2,000 freight forwards. Uh, forwarders five years ago, and now there are 24,000 brokerages. Um, so we're still growing in number and we're gaining access to these tools that are providing a lot of digital automation. We talked about RPAs and APIs. So I think that's kind of the next real wave of getting that cost to serve down. That's the objective, right? Is if you can just get that cost to serve down a little bit more, then you can be more attractive to your customers, more attractive to your motor carriers. Uh, so that's where a lot of our investment is going right now. And then in the motor carrier CRMs that are integrating into the TMSs to try to, again, maybe identify repeat relationships that, you know, these carriers are constantly taking the loads, but it's some, somewhat transactional. And to be able to identify and say, hey, you took 20 loads from us this past month. Let's, let's have a conversation. Let's have a visit, right? And see what more we can do. So. Yeah, I'd like to circle back a little bit to the beginning of the conversation because we were talking about the spot rate um, being anomalies or being read as anomalies in, in the spot market um, because they're they're out of whack of a lot of really the, the, the contract market of brokerage carrier. If, if we really truly separated those two out, what would volatility look like? Would it be eye-opening for, for a lot of people? How much more volatile? Uh, that the true spot market is, uh, if we can separate that data from the, the the broker to carrier contract rates that you see, I think they would that people would be surprised. I think a lot of times when we quote, shippers are surprised, right? They go, what are you What are you talking about? Fourteen hundred dollars for a hundred mile run. What are you talking about? X amount of money, you know, to go to the West Coast right now. But I think they would be surprised. And we we also operate in short lead time a lot. And that's another kind of mm -hmm. influencer of spot rates that is takes them out way different from either even regular lead time spot loads, especially compared with broker carrier contract. But um, I, yeah, I think people are surprised all the time when they realize. And you know, we have open book relationships with a lot of our shipper customers where we sit and show them how much you know we're paying the truck, and it's just it is eye opening to see what true spot rates are. It is. And, and when you dive down into the research a little bit more, we have about 138 freight markets here uh, in Sonor. If you look at that, and I, 
off the top of my head, about 26 or 27 uh, represent about half of all the freight volumes. And, and that's in, in our tool, which means that you have very liquid lanes and then you have very illiquid lanes, which have low volume. And, and that just brings me back to the pricing, you know, all these pricing tools. And, you know, how do you price these illiquid lanes day to day? You know, I mean, and, and Richard was talking about it too, you know, is it a gut feel or is it data analytics? Is it a little bit of both? You know, how does the market operate? Because uh, a lot of the, the lanes uh, that you probably move are very illiquid. It's, it's not like uh, a lot of carriers are jumping jumping up and saying, this is a, a great, great lane. Uh, I, I guess money comes into the issue uh, as well. But how do you, how are you able to, to quote that and then feel very comfortable you get a truck? Well, again, I think that's sort of where I developed for Surge our strategy of providing backup rates, right? Mm -hmm. And whether it's, they've, historically, there were static backup rates, and now they're really kind of turning into real-time rates. Mm -hmm. But typically, we would be higher, right? And we do have customers who separate out their high-volume business from their low-volume business and have separate bids because large motor carriers can't build efficiencies around low-volume lanes. So in many ways, those operate as the broker bid, and they are priced differently. They're just priced higher to say, yeah, it is going to be hard to get coverage on low volume when nobody can build consistency around this business. So it, it's just going to be a spot. And hopefully, it's not short lead time spot. Hopefully, at least I get seven days to work on it. <laughs> you know? Not seven hours? Yeah. <laughs> or less. Yeah, less. By the time appointments come in, yeah, one hour. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, that's that's you know we were talking earlier about the importance of being able to know what the conditions are for a carrier. You know, from a reload standpoint, is this you know like what Kevin was saying, is this a lane that's going to increase that carrier's potential to keep running with freight, or is this a lane that's going to drive up their probability for empty miles? And if that's the case, they want more money. <laughs> I would imagine. Um, but yeah, that you know. Apart from just opening the books to your shippers, how are you going about that conversation? It sounds like it's just a more of a, a, a process of how you've positioned yourself for when you're getting those calls from shippers. And so they, they already have some understanding of like, okay, this is going to be higher because we're having to call surge because we had some sort of breakthrough or you know, something fell through the cracks. But when, when their expecta expectations are still blown out of the water, like, oh my gosh, I was not expecting this price, um, what, what do you fall back on? How do you have those, conver those hard conversations? You know, I think I would say right now in the past year and a half, more than ever, uh, you know, first 90 days of COVID, I think there was some bitterness around the conversation regarding rates because... You know, when the uh, panic buying started, rates shot up. And then, you know, we went back and explained to our customers that we needed an adjustment because there was just an anomaly in the marketplace. And then, so kind of we got like a 60, 90 day adjustment just to, for that to pass. And then shelter in place started. And then rates went way down. So then, then they reverse negotiated. And then rates started going up again as things started coming back. And um, I think that experience has really, allowed shippers to just be more open to saying, okay, let's talk about the market. Like I, I get it, but I need the capacity. And right now there's more demand than there is supply. 
And I get it, but like, let's be fair. Let's be open. Let's be honest. And, you know, whatever you come in at should be kind of reasonable compared to what your competitors are coming in at. And so long as that's happening, I think they know that we're being just as open and, you know, kind of forthcoming as we can be, um, even though it's surprising. So we say, yeah, I mean, find other people um, and see what they're quoting. But we're going to be we're going to be reasonable, you know, otherwise we wouldn't be here. Nothing like volatility in the trucking market. It's, it's, <laughs> it's amazing. It amazes me every single day. Omar, one final question for you. A little bit off topic. Richie and I did a, a, a buy or object. Three, three points I went to, to on our last one. Script-based selling. Are you buying that or are you objecting to it? So I, I was listening to that. And we do some of that at Surge to at least get somebody's attention in the beginning. Right. And then, and then I think you need to be able to kind of go off script once you present your business model. Right. This is what we do. I'm calling to share this with you. And then you have to really be able to go off script. But I don't I don't have a problem with it as an introduction. Maybe like you guys were saying, an introduction email, the first four sentences of a sales call. But then you really have to you have to know your business. You have to know the market. You have to know your value of why someone should partner with you. And that just becomes a more fluid conversation. So both. I'm a fan of both. Hey, I, I, I am too. I think we all are, really. Um, but th- thank you so much, Omar, for, for your time. And um, I, I guess if you're interested in working for Surge Transportation, jobs at surgetransportation.com. And to learn more, what? Surgetransportation.com, your website, right? Yeah. 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 Please check us out. If you're a logistician looking for work, if you're a shipper that could use a little bit of extra capacity, you know, we're in the middle. So we want motor carriers, logisticians, shippers, um, come find us. Or we're out looking for you too. And so. Omar is always on LinkedIn, so you can just uh, search his name and reach out and connect. Yeah. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Yes. Yeah, it's good to Thanks be so here. Much. That was great. All right, have a good one. Good conversation. So, so do, you, do you have everything down on the, the trucking market now? Probably not. With a different trucking market? <laughs> I, I feel like if I said yes, I would be setting myself up for, for some sort of surprise later on in the day. <laughs> yes, I, I would too. I, I would too. It's, it's so, uh, you know, volatility is so strange. And the fragmentation is, I think, another another aspect that, uh, that, that really, since there's so many players, there's so many markets. There's many markets. And Omar was talking about regional, local LTL, I mean, we could throw out a hundred different markets and, and that's probably where we're at. Here's, um, here's an article that, that I found in the Wall Street Journal this week, and it is really about counteroffers. You know, uh, this is the great resignation. A lot of people are looking for, for different jobs. People are shopping the, the job market, not the trucking market, but the job market. So if you get an offer from another firm and you take it to your box, you know, how should you handle it? How should you handle it? Should you, you know, is it, are you, are you really planning on leaving? Are you trying to get a higher salary? What are you doing? It's a very important question right now. It is. And I, I think that there's a lot of poignant questions that you should be asking yourself if you're in that position. What do you want? What is the ideal working situation for you? And is that achievable with your current company or is it not? Uh, and is this uh, new offer that you have, is that getting you a lot closer 
And is there something that your current company could offer you that would surpass that? Or, you know, think about what is the, what is your ideal? What's the best way uh, that, that you can, you know, the best situation that you can be in. And then if you're going to go back and look for a counteroffer from your current company, I think that you need to position it or you need to be able to prepare a, a, a statement of like, here's what I have to offer and here's why it's going to help the, the company as a whole. So that you're not just saying, hey, I got another offer and I want more money. Like it is that that could create a, an environment where it's not really healthy in the long term. You always want to be thinking about how you're going to be providing additional value and bringing more value to your current to your current company or the the uh, the, the possible new company. And it's always about leverage. It's always about leverage. And the best leverage is adding value. You said it exactly right, Richie. It's always about adding value. It's not. Oh, whether it's threats or, you know, I'm going to leave and, and this is what's going to happen, you know, doomsday scenarios, because most companies just pick up and they just keep going along. It's about the value you can add. The, the article is called, You've Got Another Job Offer, Here's What to Tell Your Boss. It's in the Wall Street Journal, and it has four tips, how to put your leverage at work. Tip number one, have a rationale. Sure, the offer gives you leverage, but if you're serious about potentially staying, you should also provide your employee with other reasons to give you what you want, right? So whether it's remote work, a higher salary, uh, extra vacation, you know, there's a lot of different different levers to pull when you're negotiating as, you know, in addition to dollar, do, dollars and cents. Yeah, 100%. And that rationale is important to identify. It, it Maybe it is that you're being underpaid versus what you could get paid for the exact same thing by another company. That that would be valid, but maybe it's something where you have an idea of wanting to take on more responsibility or wanting to bring more value to your organization. Have a plan. No, like don't just go in, you know, with, without a plan. <laughs> you, you want to have a plan for that conversation. And one of those plans, the next tip, it flows perfectly into that, is keep it simple. You know, a lot of managers don't necessarily have the unilateral ability to change your pay. You know, uh, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of bosses, their hands are tied and what they can do, they have to go out and get approval for things. So keep it simple. Don't ask for 10 different things. Ask for what you really want. Knock that out of the way and see what happens. You know, it, this sounds a lot like selling. It is selling. <laughs> it, it's all it is. Right, it it's sounds a selling. whole lot like selling. You know, yeah. don't sell 10 features. Exactly. Pretend benefits all at once. Yeah, yeah, and then have value, and and, and have mm -hmm. the value be at the core of your messaging. Yeah, yeah. Pay attention to timing, right? So, so this is good too. It's best to try for a raise six months after your company's annual review process. If you get too close to when bosses are making firm-wide compensation decisions, they might just roll your raise into whatever adjustment you would have gotten anyway. So, keep that in, in mind. Same yeah. thing with selling. Timing it is. It is. <laughs> See the bigger picture. Is is the fourth, and that goes into selling as well. Negotiations are a chance to get to know the other company and possibly higher ups at your current company better. Think of the experience as a networking opportunity. Doctor Bones says, a chance to set, chance to yet improve your own circumstances, but also to kind of solidify relationships. So it's not it's not um, antagonism. No, it's not not that. It's a, a collaboration, as they say. It's, it's a partnership, as they say in sales, right? <laughs> yeah. It's not adversarial. That's why that, that was the word I was, I was trying to say. It's an opportunity to share your values. 
with with your your company and your leadership. Um, it's also an opportunity to learn about other companies, um, and then there's an opportunity to learn about your own company because when you're sharing those values, there's going to be feedback and there's conversation there, and that what you learn can be really meaningful and, and can help drive some of those big decisions, uh, whether to stay or, or to go. So, um, yeah, I think it's, I think it's a worthwhile endeavor if it's a real authentic opportunity and, and you have a good plan in place. It, it is, it, it's a good opportunity and there's a lot of movement in the job market right now. And it, it's always good to, to, to just know your market value. That's right. hard. That's a hard one. to. It, it is. It is. And you know what? We're hiring here at Freightways. We are. Lots we of positions. Are. Lots of open positions. You can go to our, our website, go to our jobs page, and, and check those out. I, I think we still have 30, 35 positions uh, available. Some of it's on the, the Freightways TV team here, editorial, the media, sonar cells, you know, the, the product side. So there's, there's a lot of, there's just always a lot of open positions here as we grow into the next stage. A lot of opportunities to learn about freight. I've certainly learned quite a bit about freight. And like a lot of other things I've learned about, the more that I learn about freight, the more I realize how much I don't know yeah. about freight. <laughs> I know. Same, same boat here. Same, <laughs> same boat. And you came outside the freight industry. You've been here uh, two years now? Almost two, two years. Almost two years. Two years. When my first day, uh, they were talking about truckload tenders, and I was convinced that there was a conversation about moving chicken tenders via truckload. And that's, <laughs> that was the extent of my freight knowledge when I started here at Freight Waves. True story. Uh, yeah, I, I know it's a true story. That's really why it's so funny, right? Because I know it's a true story. Uh, coming up later on today, um, I believe at 2.30, we have at your doorstep, uh, Kaylee Nix, uh, interviewing Final Mile, 3 o'clock. We should have great quarter guys coming up with Andrew Cox and Anthony Smith. They're going to break down the, the financial markets. They're going to talk about earnings. It's earnings season. I know Andrew, he writes the, our, our retail sector newsletter here, and he has had his ear on the earnings of large retailers. So I'm sure they're going to talk about that and talk about any highlights that, that he gathered about transportation, any commentary they had in their quarterly earnings reports or in their conference calls. So that'll be exciting. Mm -hmm. And then tomorrow morning, as always, from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, Freight Waves Now will be up and, and running. Any parting thoughts, Richie? Lots to, lot to discuss. Uh, I, I think that there's no such thing as the one rate to rule them all like Lord of the Rings. I think that rates are in niches and they're segmented all over the place and then the market's a crazy place. I'll end on that. It, it is a crazy place. There's, there's thousands upon thousands probably of different markets in, in trucking, you know, geography, uh, commodity, all kinds of things. But we'll be talking about it more and more here on Put That Coffee Down. Thanks for joining us today. Have a great one. I got friends only wanna talk business. I got expensive, cause when is expensive? I got expensive, cause when is expensive? I've been getting out of work. Now I'm shutting down the stars.